And tell your neighbor, I'm glad we're sitting next to each other today. <laughs> hey, it's great, great, great to see you. We're going to continue in this theme this morning, Amazing Grace. And uh, let me just say, we've got a lot more room on a Saturday night service. If you've not tried our Saturday night, you might think about that. Six o'clock and uh, your whole Sunday is free. But we're going we're gonna to linger on this song, Amazing Grace. It was written by a man named John Newton in the late 1700s, and he wrote it as a poem. And in his poem, it was intended to instruct people in the basics of the Christian faith. About 70 years later, it was actually put to music. And today, it's the most popular song, in, the most popular religious song in the world. I mean, no, people will sing it in bars, <laughs> they'll sing it in stadiums, because every person, Lord, whether they admit it or not, they know they need God. They know they want a kind God, a loving God, a caring God. As we grow older in life, we realize our boundaries, our limitations. We realize that we're human beings, that we're mortal, and that we need a loving, all-powerful God to be kind to us. And this is what we're going to talk about, but how many know... Uh, if you know anything about the author of Amazing Grace, his name was John Newton. John Newton was not always a Christian writing religious songs. At one time, he was the captain of a slave's a trading ship. And if you can imagine Newton boarding the ship and assembling his crew uh, in, uh, in Europe, and they would go to the coast of Africa, and then they would buy slaves from both white and black slave owners. They'd put these people on these ships. The men would be placed below deck. They'd be chained together. Imagine how horrible the conditions were, how bad it stank, how unsanitary it was. The food quality was not great. Uh, women and children subject to violence. Women were subject to rape. Because they were, these human beings created in the image of God were viewed as mere property. And one day there was a great storm. And uh, in this storm, that uh, Newton thought he was going to die. And that storm became a defining moment in his life because it made him realize his need for God. And from that amazing grace, the song was birthed. Uh, after John Newton became a Christian, he dedicated his life to Christ. And how many know when we become a Christian, we change? You see, amazing grace is about God's forgiveness, and it's about God giving us the capacity to change in life. And no longer was he the captain of a slave trading ship. He became a, a minister in the Church of England. And guess what he did? He fought to abolish slavery. So the man who once promoted slavery now fought against it and was instrumental in helping stop the slave trade in the British Empire. Well, that's how God's grace works. God's grace is kindness, is goodness to us. It takes us in our broken state and it makes us into a brand new person. And this is what we're going to talk about today. I've entitled it God's Amazing Grace. And we're going to use Newton's song as kind of a basis to understand the biblical message of grace. Uh, but at the end of uh, the sermon, we're going to have communion. So uh, I call it COVID communion, these little, these little uh, cups and little wafers here. They're, they're not real personal, but if you didn't get one at the door, if you'll lift your hand, an usher will come by and serve you right now. And let me invite you, if you're watching at home, we welcome you. In our online campus, get you a cracker, some bread, and some juice, and just bring it to the table where you are. Put it by your bedstand. But go ahead and do it right now and join us in communion in just a moment. But before I do that, I would like to just say I am glad to be back. Praise the Lord. 
Some of you may not be very happy. If so, there's a wonderful church right down the street here. It wouldn't take you three or four minutes to get there. No, seriously, we, uh, we were away. We uh, practiced the principle of the sabbatical. We believe in the, uh, the weekly day of Sabbath rest, and uh, all of us need Away for a month and just be rested and refreshed. See another hand here, Usher, for communion uh, to your right. But let me kind of show you some of the things we did. Uh, as a family, we went to Orange Beach. All my adult, all my kids were there. Grandkids were there. My mom even came. We had a wonderful time there. And uh, let's see, I was in Mississippi where my family lives, and uh, my dad and my brother still farm. Got to drive the tractor a little bit. That's a little interesting. I couldn't find a picture. We had a cabin uh, in there on Lake on uh, uh, Washita River, and uh, uh, I didn't take a picture of Linnell and I. But there were some snakes there, and uh, uh, she took this picture. Actually, I had run back to the house. No, I didn't. Anyway, that was kind of we liked the outdoors. Three turkeys uh, gave up their life to the frying pan. Appreciate that. And this was a great way to end it, uh, uh, the graduation of my youngest daughter, Rebecca. Uh, she graduated from uh, UCA summa cum laude, which is a way to say she only made two Bs in her college career. Now listen, I don't know about you, but for a basket weaving degree, that is a great accomplishment. <laughs> summa cum laude. Now she actually got a real degree, health science administration, and uh, I mean chemistry, physics, and uh, she did a great, great job, and uh, she's on her way to her MBA. And she's watching online today. Could you just join me and say, great job, Rebecca? Great job. Uh, I I'm proud of all my kids. All my kids actually earned uh, academic uh, scholarships. Their way was paid in full to, uh, to, uh, to college. And uh, it didn't happen because they were privileged in any way. It happened because they were willing to work. And uh, mom and dad were right there to encourage them. And parents, if I could say this to you, uh, we tried to teach our kids this. When the kids would say, it's hard, I don't want to study, you know, we would say this. Listen, you either pay now or, play, or pay later. One day you got to play. Let me say it again. If you pay now, you can play later in life. But if you play now, when you're young, when you get old, you're going to have to pay. Because life is, one day you got to pay. And mom and dad, you need to teach your kids that, otherwise they'll be living with you for the rest of your life. So, there you go. All right, but let's, uh, let's get into, uh, well, actually I've got some great news. We have a buyer for our old church building on Mall Drive. It's the uh, Pentecostal Church on Texas Boulevard and uh, should close in about 45 to 60 days. So you pray for that. Somebody's buying their church and uh, they're going to buy ours. And this week, maybe you heard Wadley Hospital is building right next door to us. So anyway, that'll be a little boom for our neighborhood. Probably some new restaurants on, uh, on, on Sundays, but we're real, real excited. God's Amazing Grace. We're going to talk about it today from this song, Amazing Grace, but I want, to, I want you to listen to a duet of Amazing Grace that is probably the best rendition I have ever heard, and uh, I suspect it's going to go, it's going to go viral uh, on, on uh, YouTube, but it's by my three-year-old grandson and his mom. So take a little peek here. And that's the next part. Start over. Ready? Amazing Sweet, How sweet the, the sound, sound that 
like a little lost wretch, does he? No, he doesn't. But my, uh, uh, my daughter-in-law tells me that every once in a while, Henry will say, Mommy, I just like to do bad things. And that's it. He's got a little bit of that same thing. How many adults would say, I like to do bad things sometimes too? Lift your hand, wave it at me here. Lying in church on Sunday morning. Don't you know liars end up in the lake of fire? Every one of us, me included, there's just something that wants to make you cross the line. Yeah. Let's go to Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. Just to hear and know that God loves me. In spite of how bad I've been, in spite of what I've done, and we've all got something that, that defined our past. There's all something we're ashamed of. But in spite of that, God still loves me. And God, I'm not, uh, I'm not second rate with him. He loves me and he's adopted me into his family. This is called amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and now I'm found. That doesn't mean that he lost his compass at sea. It's a spiritual condition, lost, found, blind, and now I see. Let's talk about it a little bit. The word grace, the definition I like the most, of course, it's favor that we don't deserve. But what I like to see grace as is God's kindness. God being kind to those that don't deserve it. That's what the cross embodies. The fact that we were sinners separated from God. Hell is a real place. A holy God can't tolerate sin. And the problem is we've got a, a, a little bit of that sinful nature in all of us whether we're wicked, bad sinners like John Newton was as a slave captain, or whether we're good sinners like my wife. <laughs> she's as close to an angel as I know. I mean, she just is a great woman. She loves God. She's real. She's, she's all, but she, she, like all of us, are, are sinners in life. And all of us need God's kindness. This idea of God's grace, that our salvation not being earned but given by God was, was really the, the foundation, the birthing place of the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther, you remember when he nailed his theses on the, on the, uh, the door of the church? He was a Catholic priest, and Catholicism had degraded into a religion of works in his day. And it was, his words were based on Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It became the hallmark of evangelical Christianity, Protestant Christianity. And I bet you know it. Say it with me. Ephesians 2, it says, For you have been saved by grace through faith. It's a gift from God, not by works, lest any should boast. In other words, nobody can save themselves. Nobody can do enough good things to go to heaven. Nobody can give enough money away to earn your way into heaven. The path to heaven is through the cross of Jesus Christ where God has done everything to forgive our sin. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. And the gift that he gives to us is salvation, full and free. And our response is to believe in him and to follow him. How many can say, that's truly amazing grace? And this word wretch, it's an interesting word. Wretch means a miserable, worthless person. 
who does immoral and degrading things. I suggest to you, today's wretch, when they started out, it probably bothered their conscience a little bit. I would imagine there was a time in John Newton's life when he first saw the slave trade. I would imagine when he first heard the cry of a husband being separated from a wife or a woman being raped. I would imagine his conscience, because all men have a conscience, and how I many know we can harden it? But there was a time when his conscience became hard and he was a wretch and didn't even realize it. He was fostering that very wicked thing that he allowed. Maybe he's similar today to last night, the, 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 the drug dealer who decided he was going to have an opportunity to sell some more meth. And he met a young high school girl and told her she could really have fun if she just took this, knowing full well that that could addict her for life. And it could affect her so bad that she would even steal her mama's wedding ring just to get, a, 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 to get some more of it. But it didn't bother him because that's the way he made his money. Now about the pimp for the prostitute doesn't bother him that what he's doing to that young lady or to that young girl. Uh, how about the guy that uh, always keeps some date rape drugs in his pocket? Because if he goes out and she says no, he wants her to say yes. And it doesn't really bother him because that's just, you know, that's just kind of how it happens. Sin is in all of us. Sin is why people lie. It's why we murder. It's why we rape. It's why we hurt people. It's why we're racist. It's why all these bad things in life. But we can harden ourselves towards it. But here's what I want to tell you. God in his mercy and grace can break through that hardness of sin and make us realize what's wrong in our life. Make us realize that what we're doing is not right. And then he can offer us forgiveness and he can offer us a changed life. How many can say I'm not the same person I used to be because of the amazing grace of God? Uh, let's, uh, let's look at this next part. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. This is a spiritual condition that he's talking about. Spiritually blind to God. Spiritually blind, spiritually lost. It means to be separated from God. Because of sin. Every human being is, is born into the human race as a sinner. The Bible says, I was born a sinner. From the moment my mother conceived me, I was born in sin. And because of that sin, it, it produces spiritual blindness, lostness. Uh, uh, and it will be followed by the judgment of sin. I'm a preacher that believes the Bible is the inerrant word of God. I told our Connect class in our first service, which is a great way to get involved in this church. If you like it, go to the Connect class. It's Sunday mornings at 9. But I told him there's three foundations that this church is built on. The first one is the Bible is the literal word of God. It's not just a storybook, but the Bible is the little inerrant word of God. Number two, Jesus Christ, the only means of salvation. And number three, that the Holy Spirit is active in the church today like he was uh, in the book of Acts. But the Bible teaches us that heaven and hell are real. You don't hear anything about hell anymore unless an old rock song that I used to listen to, Highway to Hell. You don't, yeah, a lot of you listen to it too, huh? But it's mocked today. There's no place in hell. The devil has a little red pitchfork and tail on him. Hadn't Satan done a great job to convince people he's not real? I'm going to get him back. I'm going to start a series next week, Lord willing, called Spiritual Terrorism. And it's about Satan and the demonic. It's about the influence of evil in our world today. And I, I think that's going to benefit you. But the, but the Bible teaches us that God wants to forgive our sin when we follow Jesus. And Jesus called it being born again. 
It is a spiritual conversion. It is supernatural. It's not just, you know, a New Year's resolution, but God literally is invited in our life and changes us on the inside. Jesus said, unless, uh, I'll tell you the truth, unless a person is born again, born the second time, they can't see the kingdom of God. Now, we're going to come back to that, but look at the next chorus or verse. It says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." I wonder what he feared. But yet, grace, the same grace, relieved my fears. How precious did that grace appear. Notice this next phrase, the hour I first believed. Let's talk about that. Who did he fear? What did he fear? Well, I suggest he feared God. The fear of God and God's ultimate judgment for sin. You know, one of the great tragedies in the American church today is we, lo- we talk about the love of God and the grace of God, but we don't talk much about the fear of God. Uh, the scripture says uh, in Psalm 36, one, sin whispers to the wicked deep in their hearts. They have no fear of God. They have no fear of God at all. Now, the fear of God, by definition, simply means it's an awareness of the holiness of God. It is the awareness of impending judgment that causes us to turn from sin. Listen, God is a loving Father. Uh, uh, He is called Abba in the Bible. He is a loving God. Christ is Savior, loved us so much that he gave his life on a cross. But we forget the same Bible that teaches that God is loving, also that teaches us that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hand of the living God in in judgment. Uh, We don't like to hear about that, but how many know a coin is a counterfeit coin unless it has heads and tails. If someone tries to give you a two-sided coin, it's it's worthless only in terms of its trade value. It's not worth anything as currency. But a God that's depicted as only loving and not a God that is loving and a God is also to be feared that will one day judge the world. I suggest to you today that if our schools today... And if you're an educator, if you're involved in education, listen, if our schools today would teach children that one day they're going to be accountable before their actions to God, less kids would be carrying knives and guns to school. If our children, if our children would be taught that their actions will one day that God, they'll give an account to God. Listen, friends, it would make a difference in the way we behave today. The fear of God doesn't mean that I'm scared of God. Listen, but it means I have great respect for God. I was coming to church this morning, and uh, I was coming down 2148, and I, I think I was going 63 miles an hour. It's past the statute of limitations, by the way. It was a 60-mile-an-hour deal. But I saw a policeman on the side of the road, and you know what my natural instinct to do was? Take my foot off the gas pedal. You're looking at me like, I can't believe the preacher was going three miles an hour over the speed limit. What's the average speed of the, over the speed limit you drive? I want to take a little survey here. If it's five miles an hour, let me see your hand here. You average five. Seven miles an hour, let me see your hand. Ten miles an hour. Uh, Fifteen miles an hour. Twenty miles an hour. Cameraman, would you please make sure that this this has all been recorded and policemen will be at all the exits with their ticket books today. No, I'm just kidding. You'd quit 
if you started getting tickets every time. And every time you saw the authority, you'd recognize that you're not the boss. See, this is the fear of God. It's a healthy thing. Uh, uh, but notice it says, his grace, my fear is relieved. So the same God that I fear is the God that I'm not scared of like he's going to whip me. He's my loving father. And grace helps me realize that his kindness and love trump his judgment. It makes me realize that judgment for my sin was put on the cross. And I don't have to be afraid of God. Come on. He is my father and I'm adopted as his son and as his daughter. Come on. It's amazing, Grace. The phrase, the hour I first believed. Let me say this. Christianity has a starting point. I'll tell you how we're born in the world. We're born as sweet little kids like little Henry by and large. But we have inside of us... Uh, uh, we like to do bad things. And we may not murder people, but how many know our life is pretty much lived this way? If the cross is indeed represents the Lord, our life is not typically lived going this way. It's typically lived going this way. Fair, fair enough? Uh, Hitler went this way. Uh, I went this way. M my angelic wife, Linnell, went this way. Uh, but what we would do is periodically we would turn back and we would say, God, that's a beautiful sunset you created. And then we might say, God, I've got a big test coming up. Please help me. Thanks. Uh, I'll see you later. And we live like this. Conversion is when this awareness, this impacting sense that I've done wrong and I'm sinning against a holy God. And we turn to God this time, not to go back, but we turn to say, I need your forgiveness. And I want to follow you the rest of my life. That's conversion. And Christianity has a starting place. I think one of the most dangerous uh, positions for some of us is perhaps we have been raised in church most of our life, but yet we've never been born again. It, 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 how many know coming to church is a good thing, but coming to church is not what makes you a Christian? What makes you a Christian is when you have that awareness of your sin, when you repent and when you believe and follow Christ. I would encourage you, to examine your heart today. Maybe you're living like I did. I was raised in church, but until I was 19, on August 15, 1976, I was going this way. But I stopped and turned, and I've been following Jesus ever since. Christianity has a starting place. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. This next one is good. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far. Grace will lead me home. Imbued in this is there's a sense of confidence that the God who gave birth to me, I mean, no God was involved. It was more than just a sperm and an egg coming together. God was the giver of life. I don't know if you've ever seen this. You should, uh, you should I, I don't say Google anymore. I, I use DuckDuckGo. I don't want Google figuring out what I'm doing all the time. But if you go on DuckDuckGo, if you do a search engine about conception, and the moment the sperm and egg unite, there's a flash of light. It's an incredible thing when life begins. But anyway, God is involved in our lives. God was watching over us before we knew he was. See, God in his foreknowledge knows who's going to be a Christian one day. And he, we still have to make our choice. He knows the choice we'll make. But his sovereign hand watches over us. In my own life, I remember when I was 18, uh, Dad had given me a, a new car for graduation. 
I was not living for Christ. I was worldly. Uh, I can remember leaving the driveway, going out to a party one night, and I don't know what I was doing. Uh, I was probably fiddling with the radio or something. It's kind of like as insane as texting today when you're driving. But, but in front of my, near my home was a highway, Highway 51, just kind of like Highway 67. And we had a little gravel drive. It topped a little hill. And, and how many know you're supposed to stop before you get on the highway? And for whatever reason, I was distracted, and I didn't. And as I pulled out in there, cars were coming from both directions. And somehow I just went straight across the highway rather than turning these cars. And none of them crashed. But I didn't have to think very long to realize I was a moment away from a deadly collision. I was inches away. I suggest, friends, there was a sovereign hand watching over my life. God in his sovereignty brought us through dangers, toils, and snares. Here's another one. This is good. The Lord has promised good to me. Now, how does the Lord promise that? He tells us his word, the Bible, my, is, it, it makes my hope secure. He's going to be my shield and portion as long as life endures. Now, how did he know that God would be his shield and portion? It's because Psalm 119 says, you're my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. John Newton, his mother was a Christian. And, 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 and up until she died when he was seven. And probably that's one of the reasons why he became such a worldly man. Is because probably mad at God because mom died, didn't understand it. Started going with dad on, on, when dad was a captain as well of a ship. Uh, not a slave ship, but dad was a, was, was a captain of a, tr uh, of a ship. But mom taught him the Bible. And I can't help but think when he was on the deck of that ship, they didn't have a chaplain on the slave ship. They didn't have Bibles to turn to, I don't imagine. But I would imagine on the deck of that ship, that storm was so violent, it was so horribly bad that they thought they were all going to die. And I would imagine God in his goodness brought the scripture to his mind. And this word that perhaps his mom taught him, that God can be your hiding place. And it was at that moment, John Newton said he put his trust in Christ. He realized that God was real and he needed God. Listen, friend, there's something powerful about the word of God. The Bible says, Jesus said that God's word is true. It's truth. Uh, Paul wrote in Timothy that it teaches us the difference between right and wrong. The Bible not only shapes our thinking about life, the Bible teaches me. I read in Ephesians this morning my daily Bible reading. I have been a Christian almost 50 years, a long time. I've served the Lord since 1976. I've never backslidden. And it's not because I'm a super guy. It's not because I'm a preacher. It's because virtually every day of my life I read the Bible. I take a few moments in the morning, I pray, I read the Bible, and I miss it sometimes. When I'm getting up at 4 o'clock to go turkey hunting, it's, i, I, I got to be honest with you, I don't read my Bible first. But I try to read it that night before I go to bed. And there might be a day that I'd miss it, but if I did, I would pick it up the next day. You see, there's something powerful about God's Word, the Holy Bible, speaking to you. It's, we have a Bible guide in church. I think it's in the back of your chair on paper. Uh, it's also on our app where you can just follow along and read it every day. I, I found the Bible not just teaches me right and wrong, but listen, this is profound. The Bible gives us hope for daily life. It gives us answers. I remember when my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer, 
worst time of my adult life. For 10 days, I was a wreck. I was, like a, I was like a ship just tossed and not knowing where was God and what to do and what hospital and all But I was reading my Bible. I didn't throw God or the Bible away. I read my Bible one day, and it was an obscure passage that had nothing to do with healing. But there was a phrase that I read, and it said, all is well. And it was as if God was speaking to me on the pages of the Bible. When I've been in times of my life where I was financially under pressure, the scripture would come to my mind, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things of life will be added to you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding, confused person. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. The Bible is our companion in life. John Newton found it. Guess what? We can too. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. A couple more. When this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease. Here's a fact, friend. John Newton realized what all of us realize. One day we have one life to live and one day we're going to die. But listen to what he taught the people from the Word of God. Mortal life will cease, life on earth. But he says, I'll possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever someone dies, there's weeping, there's grieving. And it should be. We grieve for those that we love. The man that designed the, 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 the technology you're enjoying in this building, he was a Christian. Uh, his name was Jeff. What was his last name? Crisp. Jeff Crisp. I had a sound company in town. He died a few days ago. Had cancer. You know what Steve and I said? We were sad about it for a while, but then we thought about the fact where he is now. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's a lie that says you cease to exist when you die. It's a lie that says you're going to be reincarnated as a mushroom. Come on now. It's a lie. It's a lie that says it doesn't, there's nothing after death. It's a lie that just says all you are is, is some water and dirt and some chemicals mixed together. Listen, friend, you're an eternal spirit. And for the Christian, there's hope. John Newton knew it and believed this. John eleven twenty five. the words of Jesus to Martha. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Say this with me, which means I want you to say it out loud. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Now, come on. Anyone who believes in me, that is, who have put their trust and is following after me, will live after they die. Now, I don't know about you, friends, but that's pretty amazing. That's the grace of God for sinners like us. Let me wrap up with this, and then we'll do communion. When we've been there 10,000 years. Where do you think he's talking about? Heaven. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, it's the glory of God that's on us. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. See, what does he mean by that? There's no watches in heaven. You see, right now, you and I are bound by a, the continuum of time our whole life is reflected in one inch on the tombstone in the graveyard, the time of our birth and the time of our death. But God lives in an eternal realm. 
My mind can't comprehend it. In math, they told me to write a squiggly line that said infinity. And I wrote it. I didn't have a clue what it meant, but I wrote it. Because in the human mind, there's always another mile, another inch, another hour. But in God, that's all erased. And can I tell you, friend, for a short life on earth, Jesus is offering to those that would believe and follow him an eternity in a real place called heaven. You say, well, what if there is no heaven? Well, I'd say to you, what if there is? You see, there's an element of faith. It's a rational faith that we have as Christians. You know, if, someone were to, if I were to find out one day that there is no God, that there is, the Bible is just a storybook, it's not true, guess what? I would say I've had a happy life and I have no regrets. I have a wife who loves me who's been married to me for 37 years. Neither one of us have strayed in 37 years of marriage. We have three children that love us. I sleep like a rock at night. I sleep well. I have fun in life. I enjoy my life. I drive a Ford pickup. Come on, you understand? Life is good. I have a Benelli automatic shotgun, and it shoots pretty good. What regrets do I have? What would I rather do? Would I rather, would I rather live the life full of affairs and have lost the wife who's faithful to me? Would I what, what, what else? I've lost nothing. I've lost nothing if the Bible is not true. But if it is true, I've gained everything, my friend. Blaise Pascal, the philosopher, you remember Pascal, uh, I think 14, 1500s, he called it the greatest wager a person ever makes to believe or not believe in the words of the Bible and of Jesus Christ. Listen, we're going we're gonna to wrap up there. Um, you know, all of us have a chain of events that led us down a path of sin. But by God's grace, we can be forgiven and we can change. For some of us, it's the starting place of becoming a Christian. For the Christian like you and I, it's a hope and a confidence that that which is broken in me today, that God can fix tomorrow. That that which is lacking in my life today, that God can provide. It's called amazing grace. And there was a former slave trader. His name was John Newton. He found God's amazing grace. He went on to become a minister in the Church of England, and he wrote 290 hymns in the church. One of his last, and he worked to stop the slave trade in the British Empire. One of the last things he said in one of his last sermons, he said, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He is worthy of all our praise. Why don't you go ahead and take your little communion cup. It's a little tricky here. It's got two little, it's got two little deals. It's got one little uh, thin, I don't know what, thin piece of plastic that covers that's supposed to be the bread. And then it's got something for the, for the juice. Just open it up and hold on to it. Because I want us to do three things before we receive communion today. And the first thing I want us to do is express thanks to God for his amazing grace in our life. Why don't you just bow your head just a minute and this, let this come from your heart. But first of all, just think about what your life used to be like before Jesus. And just thank God 
that not only was he looking over you when you were born, he was watching over you when trouble tried to take your life. Just thank God for his protection. Thank God for hope when there's nothing to give, be hopeful about. Thank God for provision that he provides for us. Food and shelter and clothing. Thank him. Thank him for your family. He's a good God. That's all powerful. He's a God that will one day judge the world. But he's the God that has forgiven us through Christ. And he's to be forever praised and thanked. Holy Spirit, I ask you to help us to become more thankful that you'd reveal yourself to us in a greater measure. And what is now duty and discipline in the Christian life would turn into great joy. The second thing I want you to do, and I want you to just keep your eyes closed as we're talking. I want you to examine yourself. Now, 1 Corinthians 11 He has just talked about many people in the church that are weak, sick, and dying because they fail to discern the Lord's body. Hard to understand, but in the context, it suggests that in their communion, they had a meal beforehand, and the rich would come in, have this picnic basket full of great food. Poor people may come in, may come in off the street, nothing to eat, maybe a crusty bread. And those that had wouldn't share with those that didn't. And it's not just about economics, but it's about the way we treat people. Not just those that are kind to us, but those that are mean to us. And he said this, he said, examine yourself before you eat the bread. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, is his people, you're eating and drinking God's judgment on yourself. So I want you to take just a moment and just say, Holy Spirit, is there something in my life that I need to change? Is there something in my life that I need to ask forgiveness? Not just the things that I've done wrong. These are sins of commission. But things that I've failed to do right. These are sins of omission. Today, Lord, I pray that you would bring to mind, and not only bring them to mind, But I pray that you would give us the grace to change. Because I joined my friends today of saying, I've got some things in my life that I've tried to change and failed. I've got things that I've approached you hundreds and hundreds of times to ask forgiveness. But I just keep doing it. Would you just join me now and say, God, I need some amazing grace. Because I'm weak. And I want to ask you, Lord, to forgive me. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, as I look to the cross, I don't have to beat up myself. I can simply with gratitude receive the forgiveness, receive what Christ has nailed my sins to the cross and washes me clean. And my prayer now in Jesus' name is that shame and condemnation would leave. 
that the devil would no longer be able to whisper his lies and his torment, but your people would be free at the foot of the cross. And now the third thing, I want you to look at me on this one. I want to ask you to join me in, Christian, let's recommit our lives to live for Jesus every day. Let me read 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Paul, after writing about the resurrection, he closed with this statement. He says, stand strong. Temptation makes us weak. Right now, many of us are tempted to do many things that would be harmful in our Christian life. Some are tempted to fall into an affair. Some are tempted to go back into our past life. Some are, some are even tempted to fall away from Christ because it's too hard. Can I ask you to do this, my friend, today? Resolve in your heart with the help of God. Stand strong. Will you say that with me? I will stand strong with the help of God. The second thing he said, don't let anything move you. Sometimes prayers are not answered. I can't always answer why. Don't be moved. Sometimes Christians hurt you. Don't be moved. Sometimes you feel like God lets you down. Don't be moved. Sometimes people in the world laugh at us, mock us. We might even lose our job because of a stand for Christ. Don't be moved. There may be unexplainable financial pressures in your life. Don't be moved. With the help of God and amazing grace. Grace is God's power. It's not just His kindness. Grace is God's power to help us do what we cannot do on our own. And the last thing he says is this. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Fully. Because you know that your work in the Lord is never wasted. Fully. What does that mean? That means serve God every day of your life. If you're a school teacher, that's your mission field. If you're a carpenter, that's your mission field. Whatever you do with your life, it's your mission field. Your family is your first mission field, but your mission field goes beyond your family and it goes into the world. And there's one thing I, I want to ask you to include in your prayer life. There's a, there, one mission we support is called Christ for India. The lead pastor there, his name is Johnson Titus. He's in the hospital with COVID in the ICU now, and they have him on oxygen. He's in bed. They do not have medicine in, Mexi in, in uh, India to give to the people that are suffering. I have offered our church to pay for whatever they could find, and we would get it to them. But he, he could die if God doesn't do a miracle in his life. And he's the leader of that great, great work, influencing more people in India than any other ministry we're involved in. Would you include him in your prayers the next couple days? Would you believe with me that God would do a miracle? This is what it means to serve the Lord. Serve the Lord is not just coming to church on Sunday. Serving the Lord is living the Christian life seven days a week. Let's just stop a moment before we partake and say, Holy Spirit, help us do these things. Lift your cup in the air and say, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me to be thankful. Help me to live for you each day as I examine myself. And help me today, Lord, to put Christ first and live for you. I want you to take the bread out of the top portion now. Paul said, I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. Jesus said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, as we look to the cross, we ask you to bless this bread. We pray that you would reveal yourself in a greater measure how much you love us that inspires us to live for you. And I pray as we eat, if there's any sick in our midst, that Jesus, the great physician, would heal us. In Jesus' name, let's eat together. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper. I want you to open that little second little layer of plastic. Jesus said to the disciples, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, Christ is coming again. Lift your cup to heaven. The color represents the blood of Jesus. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. The Bible says the life is in the blood. And that's what what Christ did. He sacrificed his life for ours. I ask you to do this one last thing. Forgive people that have sinned against you. In the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus told us to ask for forgiveness, the very next verse after the Lord's Prayer said, If you forgive men their sins, I'll forgive you. But if you don't forgive those who sin against you, neither will I forgive you. That sounds pretty serious to me. So right now, if there's someone in your world that's hurt you, taken advantage of you, lied to you, broken relationship with you, once again, would you just say, Lord, I forgive them and add these words, I bless them because they need amazing grace just like I do in Jesus' name. Let's drink together. Amen. Well, can somebody say praise the Lord? It's been such a delight to have you today. We're going to close this way. We're going to sing Amazing Grace one last time. Then there'll be an offer for prayer, and then you'll be dismissed. But I want to ask you to do this. And look at me eyeball to eyeball for just a second. You remember back in the message when I used the phrase, the hour I first believed? And when I told you Christianity has a starting place. Remember the illustration, turning back to pray every once in a while, but pretty much going this way? Maybe you have never committed, the Bible calls it repenting, and turned to follow Jesus Christ. I want to ask you today to think about this for your own soul. If you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? Because if you're not, friend, we can pray with you today as you make this greatest decision of your life. And the pastor that closes the service will do this after the song, Amazing Grace. Let's sing it together. Amen. Yeah, let's stand to our feet and just sing this one more time. Every voice, amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me.
this morning before we dismiss. As Pastor John was speaking and in part of his message, he, he talked about how one day we would all stand before God in judgment. You know, when he was saying that, it quickened in me. It's Revelation 12:10. It says, Satan stands before God and accuses the brethren day and night. It's not a very encouraging verse at all, but it gives us this truth that Satan stands before God and he accuses us of every wrongdoing, every issue, every problem. And one day we will stand before God and be held accountable for those things. And there's no reason you can give. There's no way to rationalize it. There's nothing you can do to escape the judgment of God except for saying it was covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. If it weren't for God's amazing grace, every one of us here deserved judgment and hell for all eternity. And so this morning, if you're here and you haven't received God's amazing grace, you haven't submitted your life to Christ and you need to make that decision, don't leave here without doing it. Get right with God today. The Bible tells us to repent to turn from our sin, to believe in Christ and what he accomplished on the cross, that he is the son of God and follow him with our life. And if you need to make that decision today, I wanna ask you, come and meet me at the cross. I would be honored to pray with you this morning, but I wanna ask our prayer team to come forward right now. If you need prayer for any reason, we would love to pray for you. But if you need to make that decision to follow Christ, come and pray with me at the cross. We love you so much. Thanks for being here this morning.